As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Leaf Report is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Leaf tickets and NHL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? I did not know that. GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have already downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. You can highlight the specific seat you want to sit in, see photos from that section. You can highlight tickets across all major leagues and teams. It's easy to navigate and a quick, easy to tap checkout system. So head to the app store or play store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. James, we are doing a midweek November, early November podcast. How are you feeling? We're like a month into the season. All the excitement is kind of dimmed a little bit. Uh, we're in the grind kind of, but not really because it's only November. The team, the Leafs, um, they played a little better of late. Um, I think we should kind of look at the last couple games. They, they beat Philly obviously in a shootout, and then they beat L.A. with a couple late goals. Did anything you saw in either of those games or, or of late kind of convince you that, that maybe they're kind of coming out of this, I don't know, early season, not funk, but like where they kind of haven't hit what we think is their stride? No. Next question. They still look <laughs> They still look funky to me. Like, I mean, I know they won both those games, but I mean, L.A.'s brutal. They're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, Philly looks a lot better this year, but I didn't think the Leafs did anything convincing in that game. You know, I think you can argue that they were outplayed in that game. The only thing that convinces me they're coming out of their funk is that Frederick Anderson is saving their bacon in in, in these games. Like he's he's been excellent, and obviously that's one element of this team being a good team, but. You know, there are other elements that still need to come along. And in fairness, you know, John Tavares was back against L.A., but not really. Right? Like, he didn't really look like himself. He was he was the four-fingered version of John Tavares, and he needs all five to hmm. unleash the cannon of a shot. I think you're probably right. Um, I think there are moments um and obviously 
you know, when you see Neilander do what he did on the two one and three one goals, um, you think, hey, like this is this is kind of what you're thinking with this team. Like they can kind of beat you really quick. And I kind of feel like that was a an encapsulation of of what they they are so far this year, where they don't necessarily need to play a great game. They can just beat you just because they have so much skill and they have so much high end talent. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to ask you. I guess I guess what I'm trying to think about it is: Do you think this is just like a team with so many new parts, kind of figuring itself out? Do you think it's young players who are now stars and being paid like stars in the league, not hitting their stride? Not. I don't know. Like there, there just seems to be a weird vibe around the team. Um, and I don't know if that just has to do with not winning as consistently as, as the expectations dictate. I don't know if it has to do with expectations. I've been thinking a lot about like just all those new players uh, after writing about Tyson Berry last week and then imagining that on multiple levels, like multiple different players kind of going through that adjustment that maybe that combined with I don't know, new assistant coaches, new special teams, like all these different new things are kind of combining to get them off to this okay start. Like they're still on pace for like 97 points, but not kind of the start where you say, man, like this team could win the division. This team could really put themselves in a position to be a cup favorite. Yeah. I mean, they just don't look very convincing. It it, it reminds me, and I can tell from what the fans are saying, it reminds a lot of the fans of what the second half of last year was like. Like it was just just kind of a team that's going through the motions. Like they're there and they're playing the games, but like when you watch them play, they don't look like one of the best teams in the league. That that's what that's yes. I mean, that's like the bottom line, right? Like they look very ordinary for the talent that they've got. And last week I think we went through and we talked about all of the different, I wouldn't call them excuses. I would say like the different reasons for that, that they look like that all, you know, the new players and the goaltending hasn't been that good and they've had the injuries and on and on. And, and the schedule was ridiculous, but I don't know. I don't think they're out. The schedule's not ridiculous anymore and they're starting to get guys back from injury and the goaltending's there and they still don't, <laughs> they still don't look very impressive. So I think November is really important for them. They've got a couple long road trips. Um, I know you're going to be going on the road next week with, you know, there's a game in Chicago, Islanders, Pittsburgh, like some really, some big games, like going in and playing the Islanders, who have been one of the best teams in the NHL in that hostile environment. There's going to be, I don't know if people will be throwing snakes on the ice and all that crap, but there's going to be a lot of stuff going on there to do with John Tavares. And, um, then they got that game in Pittsburgh and, you know, Pittsburgh's played pretty well. And then they go on a long trip through, you know, Vegas, Arizona, Colorado. A lot of those teams have been playing well. Um, it's going to be a lot of road games against good teams. And I think if they're in this funk that they won't necessarily put up a very good record. So I think that, you know, for this team to take the next step that everybody's been kind of anticipating that they would take, we're going to have to see more out of a lot of the players on the roster and, we're guessing if if we're saying that that's going to happen for sure because I don't know. People are are people are, you know, I go and play beer league on Sunday and the guys in the room are like, should we be worried about the Leafs? Like, what's going on? And it's like I don't know yet. Like, I I want to just watch them longer before we have an idea what they are. And a lot of fans are saying like, well, they looked like crap the second half of last year and then they lost in the first round and now they look like crap again. Does that mean that they're crap? And it's, <laughs> for lack of a a more eloquent way to put it. And I, I'm not sure yet. I'm not. I'm not ready to say what this team is yet. Well, it, it's. A, I'm. I'm glad you kind of brought up that that question because I kind of feel like that defines what what what's happening right now. Should Should you be worried about the Leafs? It's It's so early in the year. Like it's the the first week of November, um, and yet a couple points you made. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the Islanders. Like I was just flipping through some of the box scores this morning, and like they've won ten in a row. And like you start to think of the job that Barry Trotz did last year and you start to think of the players that they have. And and it brought me back to thinking about here and thinking about the Leafs. And, and I, I got to thinking, I'm like, how come we don't ever see like the Leafs pump out eight wins in a row? Like how come we don't see those kind of streaks where they win eight of ten? And maybe like it's recency bias and I'm just not thinking of them. But it doesn't feel like they, 
we've had in the last year plus those stretches where like a few weeks go by and you're like, man, like night after night, they are just like Mike Babcock talked about it actually like I think it was last week or the week before where they haven't kind of figured out a formula of what they are, where it's like game after game, they can point to that game and say like, that's exactly how we play. That's exactly what we want to do. I don't know that you can look at a lot of games and say like, that is, that's who they are. Like they played, I think maybe their best game of the year, or one of their best games of the year was actually a loss. It was that St. Louis game where it's like they played a really good all around game. And yet like if you're trying to define, and Babcock's talked a bit about this uh, in the last few days, like what is their identity? Who are the Leafs? Like what kind of team are they? I don't know that we have an answer and maybe it's too early to in the year to have an answer, but I feel like with the Islanders, like you, you kind of have an answer. The, the Bruins, you kind of have an answer. Didn't, didn't, I don't even know if we had that last year. And yet like James, I did want to add one thing to that second half. They played really well in the playoffs. Like they had a, they had a good series against Boston for the most part, obviously not in game seven, but like generally they played like you probably want them to play. Game six was, yeah, game six, you got to close them out. Sure. But like generally that series, like it wasn't it wasn't an abomination. They played pretty well. I think this is what I was saying going into that series too. It's hard to flip the switch though. Like it's hard to like, yeah. are they just going to like try and sleepwalk through the whole season the way that they're playing right now? And then all of a sudden it's like, here's our best in, in April. It's like other good teams aren't doing that. You know, it's... I thought it was Mark Masters was asking a lot of people. I don't know if you saw this or not. Probably not. I was watching the broadcast for the LA game because I was working on um, a different story. And um, Mark Masters was asking, you know, like asked Mike Babcock, asked some of the players, kind of what is this team's identity? Like, what what is this? Because this is, and didn't Mike Babcock say something along the lines of, I'm not sure yet, kind of thing, like kind of what we're saying, but it's kind of weird. Like, shouldn't a coach? have an idea of what the identity of the team is of what he wants to see of what he's trying to instill in them of what the mold that he wants them to be in. And, you know, he, well, he's saying it's up to the players to define what they want to be. Yeah. But like, he's got to have, he has, like they're some, he has some input into that though. There. Like, like you look at that Islanders roster and you look at the season they had before Barry Trotz went there and you look at what Ralph Kruger's doing in Buffalo or, or Tippett's doing in Edmonton or, I was talking to a former Leafs player yesterday and they were like, what are you seeing around the league? Like, what do you think about what's going on? And I mentioned some teams that I found really interesting and Buffalo was one of them. The Islanders were one of them. Uh, Vancouver was one of them. And the thing that he pointed out was that he thinks a lot of it is, is, is coaching implemented that he, he sees, you know, strong systems and, and approaches from people like Trotz and Kruger and Travis Green to an extent now that he's got a better roster and, I've been watching a lot of Vancouver and it's like, it's fun to watch their games. You know, they're a really interesting young team and you watch the Leafs against the Kings and it's like, holy cow, is this hard to watch? Like it was, I don't know if you saw, I didn't tweet the entire game last night, but I was watching. And then when they scored those two goals in the third period, I was like, oh, what? I just woke up. What, <laughs> what happened? Something finally happened. And it was like at the end of the game and it's like, that's that's kind of what Twitter was saying the whole through the game. Like, oh my God, this is boring. Like the Leafs are playing okay, but they're playing one of the worst teams in the league and like not a lot's happening. And and then Mike Babcock came out after the game and he was like all he was kinda of like I know everyone says it's ugly, but I kinda I thought it was beautiful and because he wants his team to play in those games. But like I think if that was a game against the Islanders or against the Bruins and it went that way and the Leafs won it, I think that we would probably feel differently. Um about that result, but just because it's, I don't know. LA was trying to make that an ugly game, and until near the end, the Leafs didn't really have an answer for that. Yeah, I, I think that's, there, there's some fairness there. Um, well, good. And yet, like, I, what's that? I said good. I'm glad that I was fair. Good. Yeah, and yet, like, I, I've also been thinking about it a lot and thinking about writing it because I don't know, it's on my mind. At some point, like, you need your best players to be stars like they're being paid like stars the expectation expectations are that they are stars i think they're stars like i all these guys like i believe that they deserve to be paid exactly or in the ballpark of what they're getting paid but like i don't know that you could look at any of them any of their best players and say like they've had great seasons like matthews has scored we talked about this a bit last week but i've been thinking about it more matthews has scored a ton he scored again uh in the game on tuesday night 
I don't know that he's had an awesome year. He scored a lot, and scoring helps you win. So that's like you can't discount that. But all around, has he had a great season? I'd say he's been fine. He's on pace Marner, for sixty-two goals. <laughs> yeah, like it's hard to look at his year, and it's and still like it's hard to look at his year and say like he's been he should be he should be in consideration for the Hart Trophy. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like he's been one of the five best players in the league, and yet he's on pace for sixty goals. I look at Marner. Like Marner's on pace for probably close to 90 points. He's a point of game still. Yep. I don't feel like he's he's dominated. Uh, Neilander, like nobody believes more in Neilander's talent than me. The the goal he scored against uh I can't no, I can't remember who they played on Tuesday night. The goal the goal he scored against LA, the the play he made on the other goal like I don't see, you don't see that all the time. Riley's been okay. Anderson's been just okay. You know what I mean? Like at some point, like you can't, you can't have a a team that's built the way that this team is built and not have those guys be stars, not like for six, 10, 15 minutes a game, but like more than that, like every night they're dominating and and it's not going to be 82 games, but it, it doesn't feel like most nights, like those guys are putting an imprint on the game. It could be five minutes where they pick up a couple points, but it's not like a, an all-encompassing performance. Isn't it? Kind I don't of, know if you isn't think that, that's. Isn't that weird though? It's, yeah, it's really it's weird. It's and I don't really know what, strange that, what that. I don't know. It just feels like there's. So does that have something to do with Babcock? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it kind of. Does that have something to do with like their kind of their ages like it, and like it? experience? Well, we've seen these guys play in the league for three years. Like we, it feels like you and I've watched every single game they've played. We've been at. You've been at almost every game. I've been at a large percentage of them. We've talked to them for years. We've gotten to know their families. We've like we don't we don't we're, we're not hanging out on the weekends or anything like that. But like I feel like we've got some insight into these players, and they just don't look like themselves. Like they don't look like they're having fun. And I don't know if like are they wearing those big contracts around their necks? You know is. Is what happened in Neilander last year the weight of expectations? Is that just on everybody right now? I don't know. It's just it feels like a very joyless season so far. That's what it feels we, we like. We said something similar last year. Yeah, well, and yet like there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting. I guess there's not a lot, but there are some interesting <laughs> stories, like positive <laughs> stories, like Justin Hall. Like yes, I was watching the game. I was watching. He get, like, he's getting better and better. Game against LA. He was like, they're up 3-1 late in the game, like protecting the lead. He's on the ice. I was like, oh my God, like look how things have changed. Like Justin Hall is one of the guys that Mike Babcock has chosen to protect a lead. Um, Frederick Goche is what he is, but like he's made himself into like an, an NHL player. Alex Kerfoot has moments where you look at that trade and you say, yeah, that makes sense. I like, like Kerfoot. Kadri. I think, yeah. And he's going to get better. And I, I really like, he's Kerfoot's kind of like to me, other than the dumb penalties, which are weird, because if you look at his history, he's not a guy that takes a lot of penalties. He leads the team in penalties right now, and I think he said yesterday that, that that's a problem. But other than that, he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Like he can do a lot of different things, and he's not cadre, but he's not exactly entirely not in the cadre mold either. Like a small center that can do a lot of different things, that isn't afraid to battle for the puck, and I think there's a lot of interesting things there with with Kerfoot and Mikheyev's been a yeah, and he's a pleasant surprise and. Yeah. Right, so there's like there's 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 positive stories like even, um, like Timishov for a pit, um, you know, playing his way onto the team. We'll see what happens like with the roster, what they're going to do with him and Spezza and Shore and, um, but maybe it's just like the combination of all these things like it adds up. Like you combine the fact that Tavares gets hurt, gets off to a slow start. Hyman's not there. Dermot's not there. You have all these new players. You have two new assistants. Your special teams have been meh. Um, like well, their power I mean, play like, still to, looks not having to, at times. not having Tavares is is massive, and I I think that yes. a big part of the power play looking like crap was Tavares not being there. They just had they had one fewer option. The power play wasn't great when he got hurt, and then when he got hurt, it went from like a little bit better than average to like really not very good. And I think part of it is they just they didn't have another guy that they could throw the puck to that can make a play and. I mean, Tavares had almost had 50 goals last year. He's missed half the games. I mean, it's and and they he's the guy that they tough match too, right? Like so, 
they're just not the same team without him. I think that he showed that potentially he's their MVP if it's not Anderson and in, in just in not being there for those games. Mm, I'd still probably put Riley ahead of him, but yeah. Oh, well, especially Riley's because... Riley's had a like, tough the, season, man. Like, Riley's made so many yeah. mistakes defensively that, like, like the position... I know he's got a lot of points, but the position that he plays and the minutes that he plays, like, for him to be yep. an MVP, he's got to be better than that. Yeah, and there have been, like, glaring errors. But, like, again, like, there is there's a component of adjustment there. Like, he is playing with a radically different partner than the guy he played with the two previous years, like Cody CC is, is completely different um, than Ron Hainsey. Like the, the, the more I was thinking about it and writing a story about Jake Muzzin after the game on Tuesday is like CC is like a physical specimen. But like the question I have is like, does he think the game fast enough? And with Hainsey, it was like, he thinks the game plenty fast enough. It's just like, does he have the, the physical skill set at this point? He kind of plotted around the support ice. It. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's like a very different style of player that he's now playing with. So I feel like there's some adjustment there. It's just like all these little tiny things and like Marner, you know, he has this this contract dispute that goes into the first day of camp and like so he's maybe a little bit off and like I don't know, it just it 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 just hasn't felt um smooth and yet it might not matter like it's November and like we may get to January and say like they, they got off to a weird start. They had all these new players. They had all these things going on, and now they're just kind of chugging along. But we don't know that, obviously, and so we can't we can't say for certain that that's what's going to happen. All right. You brought me on a tangent. I looked up the Ottawa Senators because you mentioned Ron Hainsey, and I don't know if you've been reading any of our coverage. Graham Nichols had a good piece on, on the Senators' defense and Nikita Zaitsev last week, and it, it was basically like, the headline could have been Nikita Zaitsev is bad. <laughs> like it was like the numbers that they're, he's playing with Shabbat a lot and their numbers are scary. And so Zaitsev's playing 24 minutes a game. Uh, Hainsey's down to 1747, just under 18 minutes a game. Um, it's interesting. Like, I think that's the perfect role for Ron Hainsey. Like if you can get him down in that kind of like yeah. five, maybe a number four defenseman. The problem in Toronto is they always just played him way too much and they played him against tough competition. They played him with Riley. Um, Connor Brown leads the senators in scoring. He's got almost a point a game. He's playing over 20 minutes a game. I remember when they acquired him, I heard that the senators wanted to put him on the first line. And I think I tweeted that and people were making fun of it. Well, he's, he's making good on that right now. And uh, Tyler Ennis is, not doing a whole lot. He's playing a lot of minutes and he's got three goals. And so he kind of looks like a guy that's, they're playing too much. Anyway, that was an aside. I interrupted you. I thought that was, that was going to be a break, uh, an interlude. Um, do you have something teed up or I also asked for subscriber questions that we can go to at some point. Cause there are a lot of them. Yeah. I have a couple things I want to get to okay. and then we can get to that. Lightning round. Um, well, so we, we've talked about it before, but now it's getting like, it's going to happen very soon uh, that they're going to get Zach Hyman back. Cap Mageddon. Cap Mageddon is actually happening. Do you think, um, do you like my suggestion that Ben Affleck would play Brandon Pridham in the movie of Cap Mageddon? Sure. Didn't he do a movie where he was the accountant, which I didn't see? Uh, pretty sure he did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. He also played the best friend of Matt Damon's genius character. In my favorite movie, Goodwill Hunting, and he played Batman. Different role. He played Batman yeah, in Batman versus Superman. Why did you say yeah, that name? Um, but so one of the things like that I've been thinking about with this James is like, uh, I feel like I know what's going to happen, and yet the result is like I don't know where that kind of leaves them with that fourth line. It's not a huge deal. Uh, we don't know if they'll keep an extra forward, if they'll keep an extra defenseman, who that extra forward would be. Would it be Shore? Would it be Timoshov? Would it be um, Spezza? And and the more I've been thinking about that fourth line, don't you kind of lose the identity of what that fourth line is supposed to be? Like you can make a case that that fourth line, the way that they're using it is too extreme. It's not generating any offense. The expected goal numbers are very bad because they're not generating any chances because they're starting all their shifts in defensive zone and just basically getting out and getting off. Um, I kind of like that though. I like that specialized usage a little bit. Like if you're going to have go, if you're going to have Gochi on your team, like what's the point in starting them in the offensive zone? Like, 
I, exactly. Like that's that's kind of where I've been where I've been thinking about it. But once you get Hyman back, um, suddenly that that line doesn't totally exist. Like, well, you could keep it. Is it coach? You could keep it, and well, you, you could wave other guys. Right, you could wave Timishov. Basically, is the the thing. Like, do you want to keep? You could go like more Timishov. Well, or you could keep an extra forward, like you're talking about. And then you can keep Timishov, right? And he could be the extra forward, right? So I guess you could go more Goche and Shore. Yeah. Yeah, and Timoshov's your extra forward, and you don't have an extra defenseman. And I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of not having an extra defenseman when you go on the road. Like that, that seems sketchy to me. Yeah, but maybe just yeah. That's a well. So doesn't it? Well, so like, you're I, going the on teams that road almost trip. never do that. Yeah, and you're going on that road trip where they go to Denver, Vegas, and Arizona. Like, how do you not have an extra defenseman in case someone can't go? Like, so look how many games they have on the road starting. Their next two are at home here. And starting Sunday, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of their next nine are on the road. A lot of good teams all over the place. Start in Chicago, go to New York, go to Pittsburgh, go to Vegas, go to, you know, like, then you come back and you're Detroit, Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo, you cannot have an extra defenseman because a guy can take a moped there if you need him to. But like. You're on the West Coast swing. You got to bring an extra defenseman. So I don't know. And it's been interesting that they they called back up Nick Patan and they throw him on the first line. And I, maybe that's just rewarding him for how he played with the Marlies. I guess. I guess that's what that was. Or maybe they're trying to find another team that might be interested in him. I don't know. Well, the what the way I was thinking about that is, I mean, if if they're trying to trade him, and I'm another team, I'm like, dude, like this guy's played like how many games the last year plus like i need to see him play like how why would it like why would i trade for him like i don't even know what he is um and it doesn't well look and like also he was on waivers a few weeks yeah ago, so like so anybody like, claimed him um so but, someone was like why why are they why are they calling patan back up again and like why are they just like messing around with them and like why don't they give him a chance and it's like well he was on waivers like any team could have had the guy like it's not like they're not screwing him over like they're not the the report that came out. I think it was Elliot Friedman said like they're trying to find a spot for Patan to go play. Like I think they like him as a he seems like an interesting guy, and like I think that they they feel like he's an NHL player. But if nobody claims you on waivers, then you got to go play for the Marlies. Like that's just how it is. Yeah, and and honestly, like to be fair, like it's still not you can, still can't say with certainty that he's like a slam dunk NHL player. Like I don't I don't know if he is. Um, and yet, like I'm looking at Ottawa's lineup, it's like. Yes. Maybe why wouldn't you take a chance on him? But he's also signed for another year at 775. I don't know. Maybe a team doesn't want to commit. Yeah, the Senators probably can't afford that. Um <laughs> But anyway, like that's going to have a ripple effect on the lineup. Do you like torn ACL is no joke. That's like a serious injury. Do you buy that Hyman coming back and when he eventually gets back to like the guy that we've seen that that will change the Tavares Marner line, like it'll get back to normal because granted Tavares played one game, but the eight before or the seven before, uh, when they didn't have Hyman, they did not look like the same line. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's all the things we talked about. Um, do you, do you have confidence that, that Hyman doing what he does, getting the puck back and all that stuff will change that combo? Yes. Okay. I think it's, it's going to take some. I think it's going to take some time. Yeah, obviously because that's a serious injury, and, and Tavares is still recovering. And but I think that there's chemistry there with those three. I'd be surprised if if they don't play well. You know, part part of like the on ice shooting percentage for that line was really high last year. Like they got results that were they they were not going to be able to repeat at even strength. They just like they did. Like they literally did. But that's a good line that can play tough minutes and those guys all work their butts off. And, you know, I saw Hyman at the, what was the last game we were at before the LA game? I saw him at the, just in the press box. And I was like, when are you going to be ready? And he's like soon. And like, he's dying to get out there. And he's one of those guys. that's like, he just, he's going to be ready. Like he's going to be as ready as you possibly can to come back from an injury like that. And I don't think it's going to take him that long to get up to speed. So I think that that line's going to be fine, and I think that that's going to help the Leafs. I don't think that that's like necessarily a game changer, but 
you know, you had in, you know, Muzzin was hurt, Riley's banged up, Tavares is banged up, the goaltending wasn't very good, the schedule was crap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They had a lot of things going against them in October. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think it's like underplay a little bit. Um, and maybe it's just because this is something I think about, but they haven't really had like the full effect of like what having Tavares with all these different players should be like, they should be teams should look at those two lines every night and be like, fuck, like, what do we, how do we match this? How do we match this? Like they haven't had it like fully operational because well, you look last the K year of Kerfoot Kapanen's a really dangerous third line too. Like right. If, that, so, that, if that's going against your fourth line and your third deep pair, like there's a lot of speed and ability on that line. Very good point. And, and they didn't, that's not the type of third line that they had last year. So like you add that onto the fact that like Matthews and Neilander didn't have their thing last year because Neilander was out for most of the year. And, and while Tavares, Marner and Hyman was going like it never was, they haven't had this like fully operational attack. Um, and if they can get that, then they become like a really scary team. I concur. All right, James, one more thing, actually two more things. And then we the can readers get to- wanted their questions to get through. Okay. Well, two more things. And one of them is about you. So shut it. What did um, I do? I wrote about um, the Muzzin trade after the game against LA. I just wondered your thoughts about that trade looking back now. Like they gave up a first, basically a first and two seconds. Um, Do you think it was like worthwhile looking back to what he is, what it may have cost them, what it may have helped them with looking at the impact that he's had? Like, how do you kind of judge that trade? Because one thing I didn't mention in that story that I'm not totally sure of, but I think is true. I'm pretty sure that was Kyle Dewis's first, like, I think the Levo trade was first, but this was like the first like real trade. Yeah. I think the trade makes sense in hindsight and in saying that Dursey's played really well and, and Grunstrom's played really well and a first round pick is a first round pick. And maybe if you have that first round pick, you don't have to give up next year's first round pick to make the Marlowe trade. Um, you know, but you know, we have the benefit of hindsight where they didn't get out of the first round with Muzzin. But in saying that, with how banged up Dermot and Gardner were going into the playoffs, if they didn't acquire Muzzin, how close would that series have been? Look at how many minutes Muzzin played in that series against the Bruins' top line, and he kind of lifted Zaitsev up in a lot of games, you know, in the second half of last year. And I wonder if the final thing that sways that being a good trade is if they keep Muzzin or not, if he stays. Because I think if he does and he continues to be a productive player for another several years, then that was an excellent trade. Uh, and if he walks, I don't know. If he walks and Dursey and um, Grenstrom both turn out to be pretty good players, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe fans will look at that and say, we should have made some kind of a different trade. Well, can, two points I want to ask you about that. Can it be a successful trade when it didn't, like they didn't, solve their top pair problem and granted like you could you could make the case that it didn't matter because they got a pair in Muzzin and Zaitsev that could play against a top line anyway um but I don't know that it totally did what it was supposed to do and yet I think he's really good like he's obviously we don't see him a lot um when he's in the west but he's better than I thought he was and like the more you watch him like the more you appreciate that there's a lot going on kind of like with Gardner that you 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 kind of need to look closely to appreciate. Um, I think I was saying to you at the game we were at last week that he just makes a lot of really small, simple plays in his own end yes. when under pressure and just bumps the puck to the right spot. And you can see why he's a good possession player. I think it was against the Washington game. He's just constantly making a nice play that turns the puck the other way. And you and I have debated this. I'm, I think he's, is he 30 years old? I, I think that they should really try and make a push to re-sign him. The problem is he's a UFA. He's going to be able to command term and dollars that are going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But, yeah, he's 30. He's 31 in uh, February. In, in February. Um, so you got to be careful with how much term and how much dollars you give him. But I think it's something they should think about. Just because, in part, their D is so wide open next year in terms of what they're going to do. And I'm not sure that um, I'm pretty sure that Sandine's not going to be ready to play in the top four next year. So they're going to need some guys that can do that. 
Well, like you, you can pencil two, and you can probably only put one in pen, and that's Riley. And then Dermot, maybe. Um, and then, like, you just kind of don't know what it's going to look like. Um, but like, if he need, if he can get six million, that's that would scare me away. And even something in the fives might scare me away. But well, it's obviously going to be in the fives. Yeah, that, that. <laughs> it is. Like, it just of course it's going to be in the fives. Like, look at the minutes he's playing. Like, you know, and, and yeah. even he's put up a lot of production this year, and he's having a really good season. He's yeah. he's a good pl- he's a good player. He's a good player. I think what um, you try and do is you keep it to like four years and then the term's not so bad. And then you try and keep the dollars as low as you can and you front load it like crazy. And then in the last, you can, you could kick him out for the last year if you need to. And then you get another three years out of a pretty good player and you hope he takes good care of his body. And you know, there's, there's D men that are effective into their late thirties. Obviously not all of them. You don't want a Brent Seabrook situation going on. Well, if I was so a like, team, it's interesting, like you mentioned that it it's it's for sure in the fives. Like if I was a team, I'd I'd look at his numbers and line them up against Gardner and say like Gardner got like four. Yeah, but that's such BS. I guess that's though. an outlier on the the wrong end. Well, right? do you think that's what Gardner was asking for on July one? No, but like maybe the market's going to change for free agents and no, but I mean like Gardner turned down offers from teams that were was more money than what he ended up signing for, and like they just they miscalculated and they thought an offer was going to come that didn't end up coming. And like, it just, it didn't, he's one of those guys that it just went like sideways on him. Like it can sometimes in like, remember with Cody Franzen that happened to that one year, right. Where they were asking for so much and then no one bit. And then he ended up in Buffalo and that happens to guys. Like sometimes you go in and you ask for too much and you miss the first wave and teams go with other options. And then you're just like, Oh shit. (laughs) Like, what did I do? And like, I don't think the Leafs, the one thing that I was going to say about the Muzzin trade is if you don't make that trade, keeping Gardner probably makes a lot more sense. And I, I don't, I know I, he would have taken a discount to stay in Toronto. I don't know the extent to of, of a discount. I don't think he would have taken as low as he ended up signing for, which I know sounds weird, but you know, the Leafs could have given themselves some flexibility and left some wiggle room. And um, I don't know. I don't know. But, well, and so the question that I asked and that you're kind of hinting at is like, are they better off with Muzzin or Gardner? And I, I'm i not sure. I kind of start to think it's, it might be Muzzin just because he's so different from what they have. I'm just looking up uh, Gardner's numbers here with the, the Hurricanes. He's not playing a lot. No, he's, he's only on playing 17 pair. minutes. Yeah, he's not, doesn't have a lot of shots on goal and they're probably better with better off with Muzzin, but like if the thing is, if, if they decided Gardner, they would have him under contract for longer. And then, so I, I wonder if they thought maybe it's time for a change with Gardner, just, you know, that that's three playoff series against Boston. That's, he's a good player, but you know, maybe it was time to change the identity of the defense core a little bit. And we have no idea what it's going to look like next year. Um, this kind of brings me, are we ready to move on to the, the reader questions or you got something else you want to talk about? Yeah, the only thing I wanted to ask you is um, I haven't had a chance to read your story yet. So I wondered if you wanted to preview for me and, and maybe the people listening uh, what you wrote about. Well, it's it's a sad story. It's, it's one that, uh, honestly, I started working on the story before I was you know, even at The Athletic. I started, it's about a... Uh, a former fighter. He played in the OHL and minor hockey, uh, minor leagues and, uh, was a fighter. And, uh, in his mid thirties, he became disabled and kind of incapacitated from all of the head injuries that he had. And, uh, I got to know him and I got to know his, his wife and his family a little bit. And, uh, then he suddenly died and, uh, he died right before I left the Globe and Mail and, uh, I never got to write the story. And it's today actually marks three years from his death. His name was Ryan Crowther, and um, it was it was nice to be able to reconnect with his wife. And you know, she said that their family's doing as well as they can um, with the situation. But just to kind of talk about why he died and what happened, and how all of the concussions he had when he was fighting all those years in the OHL and and in in the minors that 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 was what why he died. And he was thirty seven when he died, so. Um, 
yeah, that's, that's a story. And, you know, I've done a couple of those stories, um, over the last five or six years and it doesn't, it doesn't get any easier. Those are the ones that, you know, those are the ones that, um, they wear on you. You know, I went to, I went to Ryan's funeral when he died and so it's, it's a lot different than the stuff we're talking about in terms of line combinations and minutes and all that stuff. It's, it's real life. And in a lot of cases, I think that there's a lot of these guys, honestly, I do. I think that there's, I don't know how many, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's hundreds of these guys that are struggling with the impact that, that hockey left on them. Well, and I think that's why it's important to read about it and talk about it. And like even the athletic, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, Katie Strang had a story just about the rise of some specific drugs potentially in hockey. And it's just like a reminder that these are just like people just like you and I, they just go, they're going through the same struggles and like, and obviously what you wrote about is, is compounded and um, impacted by playing hockey and the style of hockey. Uh, but it's just like a good reminder to take a step back and realize that these are just like humans and they're not. Well, Ryan wasn't invincible. playing that long ago. Like he was playing in the minors up until like 2007, I think. So it's not like, it's not ancient history. You know, he's the same age, almost the same age as me. Um, that's the hockey that you and I, that's hockey like that. I grew up with junior hockey. I mean, those were the games I was going to when I was in high school, the games that, that Ryan was playing in and they, they didn't get treated right. And I don't know what the answer is, but I wonder if junior hockey can direct some of their revenue to helping some of these guys. Okay. Well, I will read that. Everyone else listening should read that. Um, let's move on to something lighter. Do you have some of those questions handy? Yes. The first one was what's wrong with Tyson Berry? Well, I can, I think I am prepared to get into that just because I wrote about it. Um, I think we, and this ties into what we we're just talking about. I think we underestimate um, how difficult it is for someone in his position who played eight years in Colorado, got there when he was 20, left when he was almost 28, played like 500 games. It was like an institution there. Like I hadn't realized he's like their all-time leader uh, for defensemen and goals, assists, points. Like he was like, he had built up this thing there. And then like suddenly like you're on a new team, you're in a new city, you're like everything is new, new new system, new teammates. And like you're just trying to adjust and you're doing it in the spotlight. I just think that can be hard. And, and maybe for some guys it, it's easier than others. I know Jake Muzzin had like a difficult time when he first got to Toronto. His wife was pregnant. Like they had set up this life. He had played for the Kings for eight years. It's difficult. Like any of us just imagine like if suddenly tomorrow, like you had to move cities and you had to live in a different place and play for or work for a different company than you're working for now, or it would just like kind of change a lot of things and it would take you some time. It would take you more than a month or two to like feel like yourself. And like one of the things like Tyson Berry was known for in Colorado is like he was like aggressive and instinctual and you're not seeing that now. And I think a big part of that no. is like he's not confident right now because of all that's that's probably going on in his head. And when a guy like that is not confident, he's not aggressive and he's not making plays. And so you kind of see a guy trying to figure it out in front of like a really big spotlight. Do you think that's that's about right? There seems to be a lot wearing on him. And I wonder if like the general kind of malaise around the Leafs is is part of it. Like I think Colorado was our Colorado's the youngest team in the league this year. You know, I remember going into that dressing room in Colorado last year and it's a lot of young guys. It's, it was a different I know the Leafs are a young team too, but Colorado just seemed like a really fun kind of and he was one of the leaders there. He was a guy that had been there a long time. He was a guy that Yeah. His his role there was like when new guys came to the organization, he would like take them out for dinner and um you know, everyone that told me about Tyson Berry before the Leafs got him was just about how personable he is and outgoing and all these things. And I think he's just kind of, I don't think he's having a lot of fun right now. And I think he needs to kind of just find his, I almost wonder if they, I don't know what you think about this. I think they should just put him on the first power play unit and, and get him some easy points and kind of build him up a little bit and maybe take some of the pressure off of Morgan Riley and with him being banged up and the amount of minutes that he's playing. I mean, Morgan Riley's averaging almost 26 minutes a game. Um, 
give Barry a little bit more workload. The power play has been bad anyway. So like, and he's got that one timer threat from the top that um, I think the Leafs could use. I, th- I think that that makes sense. And it's not a slight on Riley. It's just saying we need you, we need you to expend energy in, in other ways. So that's, that's what I think of, with Barry. Do you want to know my idea for the power play on a side tangent? Is it to bring back Jim Hiller? No, um, but it's to bring back one of his concepts. I think their first unit should have Matthews and Neilander, and if you want to have Riley or if you want to have Barry, I would center the first unit around Matthews and Neilander and try to create recreate. But that then, dynamic. who do you take off? Who do you take off the first unit? Then, like well, you that's what I, take, you'd have to. You're play not taking with. Marner off. You're not taking Marner off. The no, first I, unit. that's exactly what I, I'm. I'm doing. And maybe I oh put boy. Tavares and Marner on the second unit and have two oh boy. awesome units. Yeah, Paul's not going to be happy with you. Well, I mean, this has been like a year plus that it hasn't. I mean, they were eighth in the league last year. And you're going to get blocked on Twitter. That's fine. That's just what, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why it's such like it, it, it clearly doesn't. Something about it doesn't work great. Um, and I was just talking to Neilander at practice today. We're recording this on Wednesday, and we were just talking about that dynamic that him and Matthews had, and and they were they were lights out together. And now maybe you re- can't re- recreate recreate that because maybe teams will have figured it out. But the threat of their shots on opposite sides, yeah, um, it doesn't work the same with Marner. It just doesn't. His shot is not the same threat as Neilander. Um, anyway. That's just a side. Could, could you put Marner in that middle spot where Tavares is, and put Tavares back at the net front, and then you got maybe do? It seems weird to. They like what, having what, the left what, shot in the middle. Just, um, I think, as more. But of if a, you, yeah. But if maybe. you move Matthews back to the other side, then Matthews can find Marner with a pass. I don't know. I'm just. Yeah, maybe I, you're right. If like you could have, you if, you, if you could have Nylander, Tavares, and Marner, and Matthews, and Barry. I think yeah. I just figured it out. I think I just figured out what I would do. Okay, we're going to go lightning round through the rest of the questions, okay? Okay. Um, pairing Dermot with Riley, what do you think? Do they have to change that Riley pairing? I just don't think that, that Dermot is going to be the guy that they're going to trust. No, um, Babcock doesn't trust him right now. No, yeah, that's and, sure. and I just can't he's see He's barely them, playing. Uh, well, because he came, but he's he's been off for, for so long. I just can't see them trusting uh, Dermot against a top line in the playoff series, but... Maybe if you start to use Muzzin and Barry against top lines, and maybe your second pair is Riley Dermott, maybe that works. But then where some CC, some where's Hall, other people, yeah, some other people are saying Riley and Hall could potentially look good together. Well, and yeah, hey, maybe that maybe that's something, and maybe try Dermott CC as your third pair. What's next? Someone asks, what happens to Babsocks if Babcock gets fired? You <laughs> this can is funny. That. The Babsocks guy is on my hockey team now, on my beer league team, and I, I, I didn't say this, but I think he's a little bit worried. He, he, he likes Babcock. Obviously, they have some kind of like a they've met him, and there, there's a partnership there, and everything. And so he's 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 kind of like always feeling me out to if he think if I think Babcock's in trouble. And I said no, I think that I think he's fine for which one is it, Jake or Tom? It's uh, it's Jake. It's actually both. Of, they're actually both on the team, but Tom's been hit, hurt and hasn't played very much. So, yeah, it's kind of like I met those guys when I did a story on Babsocks like years and years ago, whenever that was launched. And then now, now, now I'm playing hockey with them. So they're both really good players. So, wow. but that was uh, at our game on Sunday that he was kind of like, "Do you think? Do you think? Do you think Babs is in trouble?" And I was like, "No, I, I think he's going to be all right as long as I mean, it's going to if they I think if their record goes way in the tank, then everything's on the table, but." But I, it, the 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 answer is that um, they've diversified. Like they have those alumni socks. They have they're going to be they're going to have like all kinds of other. They're going to do other sports. They're going to the, those guys. The business that they built, starting with Bab socks, is it's bulletproof. So it's pretty exciting actually. All the stuff they're working on. Well, it's MajorLeagueSocks.com. So boys, if you're listening, what's up? We miss you. They they probably are listening. They sit in that that crazy office they got over on Mount Pleasant and they listen to the show all the time. They said so. Um, someone here's a question: Rank the Star Wars movies. Can you do that? No. <laughs> have you seen them all? No. You haven't seen all like have you seen the old ones? 
No, I think I've seen some of them, not all of them. It's one of the things that, that I definitely need to accomplish. I need to see all the Back to the Futures, too. I need to see all like, the Halloween movies. There's some gaps. Like, I've told you this before. There's some gaps in my pop culture knowledge. Like, I'm pretty good, but I can be a lot better. There's some stuff I, I absolutely should see and should listen. You have like, an older brother, too. right? Shouldn't your older brother have, like, introduced you? No, I'm the stuff? oldest brother. Okay. Well, that's, that's what happened. And then you're, like, six or seven years younger than me, so... Like all that, I've probably seen the Back to the Future like ninety eight thousand times, and like Star Wars, and I've seen. I think I've seen all the Star Wars movies. I haven't seen like Rogue One and some of that Solo and some of the new stuff. You know, the old ones are, are great. The the what, what's the newer trilogy called? The um, those ones are hit and miss. The one with uh, Phantom Menace and all that stuff. I don't I've know seen if I'm some rank. of those. They're not that. Yeah. Good. No, but the old ones are better than that. I would rank like the three older movies, one, two, three. So, okay. Next Empire one. Strikes Back's the best one, et cetera, et cetera. You know, nothing too controversial. I actually, my son's gotten really into Star Wars Legos. Like he has like, he has like a, an X-Wing and like some of the, the ships and stuff like that. that he, so I'll show him the movie at some point. Um, Someone wants us to talk about trading Neilander for uh, top four right D. Not going to happen. Uh, I I'm going to write something on Neilander at some point in the next little while. That you're gonna that they should trade him. No, but I I'm just thinking the one thing I've been thinking a lot about with him, and I know we got to wrap up pretty soon. It's uh, it's it's going to be about Neilander and and kind of patience and like. The hard it's really hard to be patient i think with with young players uh especially ones with as much talent as he has well the I question jonas is is he going to figure it out or is this what yes he is? and that's, that's and that's question. exactly what patience is like do you believe do you be patient like when does your patience run out i guess is the question all right we're going fast through these because we don't want to go much longer than an hour with this so Someone says, uh, I'd be curious to hear a comparison of Kerfoot and Kadri's seasons to date. You look production-wise, it's very, very close. I think Kadri's having a pretty good year in Colorado, a little bit of a slow start, and then he's been coming on lately. Um, it's hard because I haven't watched the Avs play. I don't think I've seen them play a single game yet this year, so that's that's a tough one. But I think what you're going to see with that trade is that Kerfoot is younger and Kadri's going to age is going to catch up to him over the next couple of years, and they got Kerfoot signed on that that cheap contract. How many more years does Kadri have left on his deal? Two. He's, He's going to need a new contract. After this. Yeah. He's got two after this. Yeah. yeah. What, what a contract that ended up being. So I know that the avalanche were so excited when they got Kadri, because that's exactly what they needed. They're having a great season. He's playing well. Um, but I just think that with all factors considered, I think that it, that trade made, made sense for the Leafs as well. What's next? There's a lot of CC questions. Someone just responded, CC bad. Uh, someone else said, how many bags of pucks would you get if you traded CC? Right. Um, you don't need to read the mean ones. Well, I, I don't think this. <laughs> um, why does Babcock continue to use CC with Riley when Hall has played so well? Uh, well, that's we'll, we can we can answer that. We can take. Will a CC to continue that. to play a shutdown role? Why is Babs' usage of CC in direct contradiction to what ba- Dubas indicated was the plan? Yeah, that's my big question, and that's something like at some point you or I should write about. I don't I don't have a good answer for that uh, because one of the first things like I remember it was July first, and like one of the first things that the Dubas said after the trade was like we're going to use him differently than he was used in Ottawa, and they're using him like basically the same role it's like the same thing the big difference is he's playing with like a norris trophy type partner who can lift him but he's still like the he's still the same guy and, and if you're going to take pressure off him and not put him in his difficult situations this would not be the way to do it the question is like who is the guy to replace him maybe they get to a point midway through the year where they've built up enough trust in justin hall that they think he can play with riley and maybe they give that group Tough matchups, maybe they give them to Muzzin and Barry. I don't know. Like, it, I don't know if it's going to continue. And yet, we saw them stick with Ron Hainsey for two years. Um, and Hainsey is different entirely than Cece, but it's clear that that group had its limitations as well. Let's let's wrap up. I got one more here. Okay. 
Okay. Um, Don McMillan wants to know who's the most overperforming and underperforming Leaf so far this season. Do you want to give one and then I'll give one and then you give one and I'll give one? Yes. Yes, I do. Who's going to go first? <laughs> okay, I'll go first for overperforming. I think I'll put uh, Ilya Mikheyev in that. He's slowed down a little bit recently, and you wonder if like at some point that rookie wall, if that even is a thing, hits him. Mm. Um, it's a much longer schedule than they play in the KHL. Yes, and, and it's intense, and it's every other night. You saw there um, was a mistake on the LA goal where Babcock was talking to him about what he could have done differently. and No, I didn't see that, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you watch a broadcast, you pick up on different things. Yeah. What about for you? Who's your most overperforming? I'd say Justin Hall, to be honest. Yeah, that's a like, good answer. I thought if he caught on with the team that it would be he'd be like the sixth defenseman and he wouldn't be playing a lot and but his minutes keep going up. And he just looks like he has confidence and I think he's really kind of showing why Kyle Dubas believed in him so much and I think part of it is that, like, he's a guy who, was he 27 years old? Like, he's an older guy. Um, he had always played well. Too. He had always played well in the AHL, but he didn't know personally if he was an NHL player. Like, he didn't have that belief because he had never done it. And then last year, the coach basically says, you're not an NHL player, barely uses you. You sit there the whole season. And then when he did get in the lineup, he just looked, like, tentative and, like, he wasn't sure if he belonged. And now he's got some internal belief and... It'd be a pretty amazing story if Justin Hall ends up having, you know, a long career in the NHL over the next five, six years um, after the weird path that he's taken. That's a good answer. Um, underperforming. Thank, thank you, Jonas. Yeah, good job. Um, underperforming. I'd probably go with Neander. Um Either him. Well, Tavares is hard. He was hurt. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd go with Neander. I, I I think Neander can and should be at least a 70-point player, and I think he's on pace for like 50 points right now. Um, and I, I you see it, like you see these flashes where you're like, man, he's got it going. Like, and then it disappears, and I, and I think that's going to be the constant struggle for them with him. What about you? Well, I mean, I think Barry's the obvious answer, right? Like, after that, you get into the big guys and like, They've got the points, so it seems weird to point them out as like the biggest underperformers, but it's just kind of like that engagement level and the two-way game and those things that you want to see from Marner and Matthews and I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Like you think about like like all the things we're talking about off the top about how much angst there is over the team and the I like using the word malaise, the malaise around the team. And then it's hard to pick out like one guy who's most underperformed. There's just a bunch of guys that have probably put in like an 80 or 90% of what you were thinking they were going to be. Mm-hmm. You need your best players to be like stars. and Your best players? Yeah. That's like saying it is what it is. Well, like there's a reason it's a cliche. It's true. Like you can't, how can you win if like the guys who are supposed to be amazing for you aren't amazing? Like it's not, I don't know. It's not that complicated, is it? Okay. Good. Sorry, I was just reading. I was reading more reader questions. There were a lot. Thanks to everybody that sent all those in. And sorry, we can't get to all those. Well, One, maybe we save should some do for next week. Well, maybe we do a podcast where we just like answer reader questions at some point if we're light on topics. It felt like today we had tons of stuff we wanted to talk about. So, well, tomorrow's or tomorrow next week will be busy because I'll have all these road trips. Three road trips in a week. Crazy. You're just like going there and back and there and back over and over again. Yeah, it's like that that song. I've been everywhere, where man? Who sings that song? I don't know. That's I've be been me. everywhere, man. That will be me. Chicago. Well, New yeah, because there's break. There's Pittsburgh. a bunch of days break in between. Yes, yeah, so I'm the coming home for all of them. The schedule this year is weird. I mean, you could have went from New York to Pittsburgh if you wanted to. That would have been a long I guess they're time not gonna, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I guess you're not going to be there. For, yeah, and there's no not really a leaf story there for you to do. I could have stayed in New York. That's what I should have done. Well, the good news is that after you do three road trips in a week, then I go on the road and I become the road warrior. I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing, are you doing that St. Louis game in December? I'm going to be doing a lot of the road trips coming up. So it's to be time for Myrtle to get his hard hat on and go to work. We should carry like a belt where you get the road warrior belt. We hand it off at the game. Yeah. Anywho. 
All right, so we'll be back at some point next week. Probably they play two. Let's do it after the Islanders game. Thursday, yeah. Thursday, I think, is the right day. So look Because there'll be lots to talk about. We can talk about the snake trader return. Oh, is that boy. is that game in Brooklyn or is it on Long Island? I'm pretty sure it's Long Island. Do they play many games in Brooklyn anymore? I don't think they do. Isn't it half and half still? I don't know. I thought it was still half and half. I don't know. Here, I'm the looking fact that up. we even have to discuss that is testament to how weird it yeah. is. Yeah, Nassau Veteran Memorial Coliseum. Tickets as low as $27. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.